Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Today, we are talking about uh, the stock market and consumer sentiment. We are going to be discussing uh, chief financial officers and their tendency to be overconfident when it comes to markets. Uh, And then we're going to wrap up with a discussion around people leaving cities, moving um, out of very populated areas for a lot of reasons during, uh, during this pandemic. And then we will wrap up with our top five. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 35. What did you 30, just say? 35. 35. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. So just about 63 years ago, August 17th, like almost to the day today, August 17th, 1957. You guys are familiar with who Richie Ashburn is? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Philly. Ashburn Alley? Yeah. Hall of Fame Philly. Um, so on August 17th, 1957, he hits a foul ball. That strikes Alice Roth in the face. Breaks her nose. Like she goes down, man down. She was there with her two grandkids. Play stops. They put her on a stretcher. They're carrying her out. Play resumes. Next pitch, Ashburn fouls off. Hits her on the stretcher. Breaks a bone in her knee. (laughs) Do you freaking believe that? No. Wow. That's Crazy. a good fact. It's not really fun, but it's a good fact. Could you imagine being carried out on a stretcher at a game because someone just hit a foul ball and hit you and then getting hit by the very next pitch that was fouled <laughs> off? No. I feel like that might have been a scene in um, Naked Gun or something. Like that. <laughs> it could totally be a scene in Naked Gun. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, because I know you guys are a huge fan. Good segue. Phils are playing right now. They're up 2-0. Okay. Lost last night to the Red Sox, which was horrible because the Red Sox are just the worst team in baseball. Oh, are they? And they're clawing to try to get – this will get them back to 500 if they can win today. Because if they won last night, they would be a game above 500. But what's crazy, because it's only 60 games, everyone's in the mix. So I accidentally saw <laughs> that Bryce Harper's having a pretty good, like, well, season, if you can call it that, like MVP-esque. I would say the heart of our lineup and our hitters, our batters, they're doing fairly well. Like Reese Hoskins was struggling for a little bit, but he seems to be back on track. This guy, Didi Gregorius, is awesome. Bryce is awesome. Real Muto's awesome. Like, they're all hitting. Real, the, the issue is the bullpen absolutely blows but yeah harper he's a stud man is there gonna be an mvp like do you i'm assuming they're gonna have normal awards right how many games are they playing like 60 60 why wouldn't there be an mvp i don't know because it's just such a short season compared to what they're usually doing and like the other uh, football excluded the nba and the nhl had quote-unquote normal seasons but i guess theirs are all shortened too i don't know yeah but not this short so i would say i guess i just thought of this i I think it's not fair if somebody hits like say 400 for the season right that's not fair you can't count that as like a record they have to like no one's going to break any other like home run or rbi or anything like that right yeah but batting average has got to be thrown out yeah are there awards for the highest batting average every year I don't know if there's an award, but like you're you're like you win the you're batting the title books. or whatever, right? Okay, there's a batting. Yeah, and you know, baseball batting... like nerds are all about the stats and yeah. record books. Jail <laughs> <Yeah>, you! <laughs> I didn't realize the batting title was based purely on um your average. I thought it I'm might pretty have. sure it's just like... doesn't have to do a slugging percentage. <laughs> no, no, on base percentage. <laughs> 
We all clearly know nothing about baseball. <laughs> so you guys aren't excited about the Phillies? Nope. Okay. There's really not much to be excited about with them because, like I said, their bullpen stinks. So you literally cringe if they're up 10 runs and, and the starting pitcher has to come out. But we'll see. Sixers over and out. <coughs> Dude. Swept. Sixers. I hope like, that they can like win one game. But. Over and out. Yeah, it's bad. It's over, dude. I was excited for the first game against the Celtics because I'm like, here we go, playoff basketball. And B played awesome. very well. I'd say and B played very well. Um outside of him and a few other players on the team, they they just can they do not match up to the Celtics talent. And the Celtics beat them. And then last night was an absolute shit show. When everyone expected Embiid to come out strong, not that he didn't come out strong, he he tried, I'd say. He just, what I watched of it, because I, I literally tuned out at halftime, he he seemed to be off a little bit from, as from a, from a shooting standpoint. Taking a lot of jumpers, missing a lot, missing a lot of layups. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and this is not just because I love Embiid, and in my eyes, he can do very little wrong. I, this is not Embiid's problem, and like he's surrounded by below-average NBA players. The starting point guard was in the G League last year, and he's is that Shake. Yeah, and I like Shake, and that's not a knock on Shake. It's a, it's a knock on the 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 whole kind of like system that he was brought into, and the expectation level for him without Ben, and it's just bad basketball. And it's more in my mind, you know, an indictment on the front office and the lack of pieces that. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, who you could argue and I would argue are like generational level talents, are just not surrounded by good enough people, good enough role players. Um, and it's exactly uh, what I've been saying for like the last year, I think. I kind of feel like you've been hating on Joe and Ben specifically a bit more. I, I, I don't love their game. I love their game when they're on their game. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't like their attitude and behavior and personality when they're off their game. So generational talent is kind of a aggressive term. I mean, that implies Hall of Famer. I don't. Joel Embiid's she, a top ten player in the league. I would argue top five. He's the best center in the league right now. I don't think she's very far off. Embiid's okay. unstoppable when he's on his game. Ben's ceiling is. I mean. Now, and there's a lot of knocks on Ben and obviously like him developing some sort of offensive game outside of beating people in transition matters. But like he should have been first team all defense this year. I cannot believe he wasn't. He led the team in the league in steals per game. Like he is impactful. So like I, I stand by it. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, wasting talent like that by not surrounding someone with the proper support. Yeah. It sucks to watch. It's it, it it's happening in hockey in Edmonton with Connor McDavid. Um it'd be insane to think about what he could do on a on a good team or with good good players around him. So it sounds like it's the same thing here. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Ben getting hurt. And and I don't know how far they go with Ben. Um, you know, they were designed in like their current, the way they're currently structured, they were designed to beat Milwaukee, which is probably the best team in the East. Definitely the best team from a record standpoint. But like Al Horford is not playing the way that they expected him to play. There are just pieces to what they put together this year that have not panned out at all. And they're paying a lot of very mediocre players a lot of money so the issue now is that they're strapped like they don't have the funds to be able to make a lot of changes um so that's why it's even more frustrating because you're watching this right now happen and fall apart but then you're recognizing that like the options to improve it are limited to me it's like you got to fire everyone in the front office (laughs) and just like hire somebody who has 
some sort of vision and who ha- who's going to get creative because what they're doing now is trying to like fit square pegs in round holes and it's just not super not working. <laughs> I mean, agree a hundred percent. It's not like as much beef as I have with Ben and Jojo it, and, and even Brett Brown, it's, it's not their fault. It's like, they're not the problem. They have talent. You just got to surround them with talent and it's, it's a shame. I mean, they go through this whole damn process and they're still, like in my mind, so far off. Well, they, I mean, they won 50 games last year. Like that's a big difference from the 12 they right. won but six if years you, ago. But if you don't have – how many of those games was Jimmy Butler playing? <laughs> like a solid – how many of those wins was Jimmy Butler a part of? 20? 25 maybe? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean – Tobias Jimmy was never going to stay. I, Jimmy I know, didn't but, but stay. his but this team needs his talent because Tobias Harris that. isn't it. I I agree, but I think Jimmy like I hate him, so I hate that you continue to bring him up. Jimmy wasn't even if they offered him a max, he wasn't going to stay. I understand, but I, I agree that they there need needs that to be type that type of player. Yep, they I'm need that type of player. They're just the whole process was a waste, and and Ben and Joel Embiid are going to be wasted. Like their careers are going to get wasted here. I feel bad every year that goes by that they don't put more talent around them because they're just wasting their years mm-hmm. and their development. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's stop talking about because, like, I'm not going to watch game three. I'm not going to watch game four. And then the season's over. I will tune into both. The amount of emotion that I like went through. Like leading up to, <laughs> leading up to the game one, I'm like, yeah, I got the popcorn out, so excited. They almost actually like were in it and won it and lost, and then game two last night, dude. Oh my god, awful. Yeah. How are you gonna feel when the Flyers lose a series? Mike? <laughs> I don't think they're going to. Obviously, last night was a was a disappointment. So Just, it's at three two now. Yeah, it's three two. They they, I mean, they have their hands full, but. They should win this series for sure. They just had two or three glaring mistakes that ended up as pucks in their net, and that was that was the story. And and that just can't happen like that. Um, I think they'll bounce back tomorrow and close them out. They're just they're just better than than Montreal. Um, you know, Hart didn't have a great game, and then a couple of a couple of their players made made bad mistakes. It's it's funny. Like two or two or even three years ago, if you just said, "Okay, Gosses Bear and JVR will be healthy scratches in the playoff game," yeah. you'd be like, "What?" And they're both out of the lineup, like voluntary or coach coach's decision, which is crazy. Um, but they deserve to be out of the lineup. They're, they both like JVR sucks. Yeah, and pay him a lot, and uh, you know, but they they have they have depth. They're good. They're they're good up and down. So. I think they'll move on, and then if they do win, they, they end up playing the Islanders, and that's going to be trouble because they had a hard time with that team in the regular season. They're just a scrappy, like, muck it up in the corners, you know, winning puck battles. The Flyers did not do well in that mode of hockey for whatever reason. So I think if they move on, it's going to be a tough next round. Hmm. Yeah, I thought in the first – Barring the second game, but games one, three, and four, I'm literally watching the game and never felt this. I haven't felt this way in a long time where I was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, man, the Flyers are just a better team than the team they're playing. Montreal just isn't as good. Yeah. And I didn't feel that last night. I felt like they just got out hustled, outworked. Yeah, a few, a few pucks that I think Hart should have stopped. Um, but I mean, they scored three, I think three power play goals, which has been their problem so far. That's great. Well, you would, you would say, two, so you would say, okay, they're going to get uh, three power play goals. They got that. That's a W, but two of them were on a, uh, a five minute major. Yeah. Well, that's what you sh- you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's know? just, that's just a different, uh, you come on, dude. You, that's a different power play than a two minute minor. They had all the time in the world. They can relax. And I feel like when it's a, in the last 16, Power plays they've had, they 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 they're nervous. They they're 
like they're in their own heads that they can't score. So hopefully that helped, but Konechny, Giroud, they're not pulling the trigger. They're like completely in their own heads. I don't know what they're doing from an offensive shooting standpoint. Yeah, I think Konechny they need more from. I, I agree. But Voracek was, was on the board, so, yeah, you know. I think they'll be okay. I feel pretty good about tomorrow's game. Um, what time's Hart, the tilt? Hart, Hart has, I don't remember Hart ever sucking two games in a row. Um, and I'm saying he sucked last night, but he let in one or two. They shouldn't have. He usually bounces back strong. You know? Dude, they were literally pulling him from the game last night. Yeah. They were taking him out of the game. And they scored? The, uh, the other team scored. And, yeah. I, and, and when, the, when the goal was done... The Flyers coach was literally taking him out of the game. The other goal, he was putting his mask on. Then they decided to review the goal. And it turns out uh, Toronto, I'm sorry, Montreal was offsides. So they disallow the goal. And they tell him, you can stay in. <laughs> Fino said he looked in his eyes and was like, oh, he's okay. Go back there. Like, what? But uh, I also heard he, he looked at the replay and saw that it was like deflected or something. And it wasn't a, as bad a goal as he thought just from the eye test. So um, weird move though. You're right. It was weird. It was yeah. strange. They were cracking up on TV. Like what's going on? Everybody who I, the majority of the people I follow on Twitter are basketball and Sixers people. And like the Sixers game, by the time the Flyers game started, the Sixers game was over. So my Twitter feed changes to like, guess we're Flyers fans. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I've been watching the Flyers on the local on, on uh, Philly. Yeah as opposed to the national one. And I realized that I kind of like, I'm a Jim Jackson fan. I like him. He's good. How Even can, though he's a homer. How can like you him. not like Jim Jackson? He's awesome. Yeah, he is. And I can't stand like Mike Milbury over on NBC. He's such an ass. And he hates the Flyers too. And he's all, he, like he said, apparently he said in the um, the other night when Hart got his second shutout in a row, one nothing. He's like, oh, he, he got lucky. He's a lucky win. <laughs> The kid's like 22 years ass. old and he just shuts out Carey Price, you know, Price in the Canadian. He's, he's just a... I can't, I can't watch the national feeds. Yeah. I can't. Last night, though, you had to, right? The Sixers? Because of the Flyers. Zumoff wasn't... Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It was Stan Van Gundy, who was good. He's like angling to get Brett's job. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's a very smart guy. Uh, like a very smart basketball mind and he's like here's what i would have done in this situation awesome. and you're listening to it and you're like yeah makes sense yeah I'm like do i like sam van gundy now more than brett <laughs> we good yeah yeah moving on coach's corner understanding the disconnect between consumers and the stock market this was an article written by marcus Liu um on visualcapitalist.com Marcus's article describes the large disconnect between the U.S. stock market, which despite losing 30% of its value in March, has a positive return for the year, and consumer sentiment as measured by the index of consumer sentiment. He offers two specific reasons for the disconnect, tech dominance and the Fed. So this article kind of had like a lot of visual components to it, um, but I guess the point was to just maybe provide some context around why the economy... <laughs> Um, and, you know, generally people feel like things are falling apart, but the stock market is just not reacting that way. I thought the article's explanation of why the market isn't in turmoil, relative term, right? I mean, it's, it's very volatile, but it's positive for the year, which if you asked anyone in March, they probably would say there's no way that we're going to get positive gains in the market this year. Uh, I think there. I thought I found. I found the explanation something I can wrap my brain around. Right, the tech-heavy S and P, which I've been trying to explain to clients. And Mike, you correct me if I'm wrong. That the S and P 500 is made up of 500 companies, but what's really driving the growth of that this year is a handful of companies. So that's why you're you're seeing the economy may not be doing well, but the market is still doing okay. Yeah. So I mean, this is a. A pretty instructive year when you split out the even the S&P, let's say, into its nine or ten sectors from you know, tech to healthcare to energy to financials. And there's a huge gap between tech, which is roaring, to, you know, you look at energies and financials, which are 
big, big losers for the year. So and when like, you say tech, you're not referring to small cap. You're referring to big tech. Big yeah. tech. yeah. yeah. Um, so that so that's kind of a somewhat normal. It's usually like not everything, not every sector is up or up a lot or down. There's, that's we see that in these. We show these charts all the time, and that and it's the purpose of diversification and all that sort of thing. So this year is kind of like it's misleading in a way because if you don't own, if you don't happen to own big tech companies, you're probably not doing well. Yeah. Um, but I think the other point where, and we talk about this all the time, the economy is not the market and consumer sentiment indicators are, are not the market. They're, they're not at all the same. I mean, um, the market only is forward looking and the market really, I think more, more than anything is pricing in and expecting kind of a short-lived problem here that whether it's the vaccine or therapeutics or whatever i think the market is telegraphing that this will end sooner rather than later and the damage certainly will be done to certain companies and and businesses but overall we'll be back um and i think also one of the best observations i've heard is that what the pandemic has really done is just accelerate things that were going to happen eventually anyway. Um, and that's unfortunate for certain businesses that are over or never to come back. But it's like, it just, it, this was just an accelerant. And, and it's, it's instead of taking five years or seven or eight, it's taken six months or one year. And that's good for a lot of businesses. And it's, it shows up in the, in asset prices. I think people are mad. A lot of people are mad about it or, they're convinced that this is going to be a massive drop coming because this is all just Fed. The Fed did it. The Fed did it. The F- and, and by the way, I have a beef with one thing in the article talking about the Fed buying bonds and, and basically propping up company um, stock prices. Indirectly, maybe, yeah, but they're buying bonds on the secondary market. It's just like when you buy a stock, you don't give the company money. You buy shares of stock from somebody that's selling it to you and the company doesn't get any money. Just like... The Fed isn't giving Walmart money by buying their bonds. They're buying their bonds on the secondary market, which is, you know, a transaction between a buyer and a seller, not the company. So I think there's a misconception. I think the article did a bad job of explaining what that effect is. It's just providing liquidity in the bond market, um, which indirectly helps the stock price um, and helps, you know, in a very indirect way. It's not, it's not as like, and, and again, people are mad about the Fed's intervention here. It's 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 helping. I, I don't understand why anybody would be pissed off at what the Fed is doing, but it seems like so many people just have this beef with Fed intervention. You know, I think a lot of people have beef with that. Yeah. Well, I think people just again, and we talked about this before. Oh, it's going to add more to the debt, and our grandkids are going to pay for it, and t- taxes are going to go up, and yada yada yada. And and we've talked about that kind of maybe as not being a fair take. It's an interesting comment that you made that this kind of just speeded things up or sped things up, I should say. And I may have misinterpreted what you said, but if you're a business that has to shut down for three months and that puts you out of business, how strong of a business really were you? Are there there that many, do the majority of small businesses that operate in this country operate on that thin thin line i think yeah i mean i think it's unfair to expect an absolute shutdown for for like that's unprecedented it's not something you would plan for you would plan for a recession or a major hit to your your revenues or a slowdown but not an absolute like stoppage for for certain businesses that had to do that right like i mean if you're a if you're a gym chain and all of a sudden you have you can't operate at all or charge anybody for six months i'm just making it up like that's not something you can plan for i don't think yeah um that's just my my opinion on it and people have equated it to like well you know personal finance you know rules are that or or guidance is that you should always have you know six months or 12 months of emergency cash or savings and why, why don't companies do that well that's just unrealistic to think you can have you know other than maybe you know at, I don't know, Apple and, and Microsoft and some of the most, the biggest behemoths that have insane amounts of cash on their books. Nobody carries that much cash to 
float operations for for that long length of time. It's just yeah. It just wouldn't be actually. It wouldn't be good business to do actually. I would have liked if that was more part of his conversation around the Fed, things like the PPP and the stimulus package, just acknowledging that there were efforts made to virtually all small business owners, uh, you know, people, um, consumers to be able to pay their bills, but also like inject money into the economy in some form or fashion. I mean, that I think is something that at least with our clients, you know, because we have this conversation a lot, everything feels like it's falling apart, but their, you know, statements are showing that they have more money than they did in March. And I think for affluent people, a lot of the people we work with, you know, the $1,200 that they got in a check doesn't change anyone's life. So it's kind of disregarded as a very impactful thing that happened. Could it have more? Should it have? Could it have been more? Should it have been more? I, maybe. Yes. I don't. We don't have to debate that. But I think there's like a level of wealth where people have these types of discussions and conversations around why is the economy bad but the market is good and there's just parts of what's happening or what has happened that don't impact them so they forget that there are these very real things that have been put in place to try to you know improve things a bit yeah and I, just to add to that again you've said this ad nauseum or at least i have the the market doesn't care one second about what happened in February, March, April, May, June, July. It doesn't have anything to do with what um, equity prices are right now. It's the expectation that this recovery is going to happen fairly quickly, um, strongly, and that, and that for most businesses, they're going to be, you know, normal yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and that's all that matters. So if you disagree with that, it's fine. And it certainly could, could happen that way where things go south. Uh, again, for a variety of reasons, but if, right now the market's positive on the future, and why shouldn't it be? I don't understand why people give a shit and try to figure out why the market's doing what it's doing relative to the economy. Like, who cares? Who cares? First of all, whatever happens today is history. Like you just said, Mike, it, it has nothing to do with where it's going to go. But who really cares? You can't do anything about it. We know they're not 100% correlated. They're not going to move the same way all the time. And in addition to that, why do we care about consumer sentiment? Why do I care? Why is there an index telling me how consumers feel about the market? Again, all based on what they've just went through and what they are speculating is going to happen. Why does that index even exist? I think I, I do think there's value to trying to gauge what the mood is because the, the the overall mood and i'm using that word loosely is is what helps you figure out how much someone's willing to pay for a dollar of earnings which is the multiple right okay so like you know in in a, in a really good mood you know you're typically willing to pay more because you think things are going to improve but i mean i think I don't, I don't know the numbers i bet you if you go back to february march of 09 consumer sentiment numbers were horrible you know when the s&p was at 700 briefly right right and then it just roared from there so i think if you use it as like a as a tool to predict the the future of the market to your point jeff i think that's that's the wrong way to look at it i guess i'm just kind of a negative nelly and i think about them like doing the poll to get the sentiment numbers and the people they're asking the questions to I'm like come on like yeah you know, half of them are morons and are not <laughs> like are just yeah. I'm like pissed because the economy's shit. And okay, that's great sentiment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, how many people are really giving an educated, well thought out, well balanced response? But that's not that wouldn't be indicative of our country. Educated, well balanced, and well thought out. Right. So whatever we're asking these people is probably. <laughs> Like, I mean, it is what they are. It's what they right. think. So they are who we thought they are. <laughs> they are who we think they are. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Well, you guys can keep following the consumer sentiment yeah. index. I'm out. <laughs> Good stuff on that, Mike. If anybody has any further questions about uh, PE ratios yeah. and the Schiller <laughs> index, feel feel free to reach out to Mike Trainer. Yeah, or um, corporate. Bonds being purchased by the buyback programs. <laughs> we didn't even get into that yet. 
CFOs, they think they know more than they do. This is an article written by Leanna or uh, for Institutional Investor. Researchers from Duke University and Ohio State looked at thousands of executives' S&P 500 projections over time to examine one behavioral bias, excess conviction. Leanna's article provides some detail around the findings of the article, while also more generally speaking, to the overconfidence of chief financial officers as it relates to stock market shifts. I think you can put an asterisk next to this and remove the term CFO and just put successful, wealthy, smart people think they're good investors. I don't think it's it's unique to CFOs. It's 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 a it's a syndrome that is that affects that afflicts like any smart, successful, wealthy person. They think that they're sure. they're, they're better at this because they have had success. I think that they're picking on CFOs because of their role, though. Sure. Right? Yeah, and I think I've been around enough of them to agree with this article that I think that it's common for CFO types to believe they're the smartest person in the room. They have that syndrome. Um, and then, obviously, the article's talking about as it relates to making investment predictions or or how they how they view where the markets are going. And I think it's... I think it's spot on. But Jeff, you're right. I mean, it's it's not just CFOs. But I think it resonated with me because I just can think of a few people that I know, have known along the way that fit this to a T. Well, I remember we had a meeting with and we met a prospective client and his wife. And they. I remember talking to one of you guys after the meeting, like, hey, how'd it go? Were they nice people? And I think one of the first things somebody said, well, he's a, C- he's a CFO of XYZ company. I was like, oh, great. And they're like, no, he actually came in and he said, look, I'm a CFO of this company, but I don't, what I do has nothing to do with managing my own financial plan and investment. So I have no idea how to do the things that you guys do. And I, like, I I found that so refreshing that someone was actually able to, um, what's the term I'm looking for when you like, Humble themselves. Yeah, humble themselves and have some self-reflection and say, you know, this is awareness. Self-awareness. Thanks, Meg. This isn't what I'm good at. I'm good at what I'm what I do, but it's completely different. And I think, and some recent experience with with some clients has has shown that this is this is real. I mean, these some people really do feel that given success or intelligence they have in one area, absolutely entitles them to number one, give advice to other people and feel like the advice they're giving is solid and and sound. And I just think it's absolutely irresponsible to do that. I think um, doctors and maybe lawyers are also another group that falls into this category. I remember, Mm -hmm. I remember at Vanguard when we were, we were doing some stuff with 401k plans and what's known as a self-directed brokerage option, which is basically gives you a window to buy in anything you want, stocks mostly, um, as opposed to just invest in whatever whatever funds are in the lineup. And it was overwhelmingly something that was requested by like law firms and, and medical practitioners because they wanted to trade stocks because they think or thought um, that they're really good at it. So, I mean, I think that's another group that falls victim to that, like, bias i think go ahead Meg, do you have something no i was just gonna say and ultimately what the article revealed was that it doesn't matter <laughs> right. like as humans right yeah. we're all um guilty um of these of these things regardless of professional success or wealth being an advisor in this business and seeing so many people come into our office with these preconceived ideas and and the baggage that they bring and how smart they think they are and i'm not saying they're they're not smart people they could very well be very smart people but seeing them come in and try to tell us our business and what's right and what's wrong i think has made me better at being more self-aware so when i go and do something that's not that i have no expertise in i i just i think i think i do this i think i show up and i'm like Look, man, I'm an absolute rookie. I have no idea what I'm doing. 
So uh, actually, no, I'm lying because we had Matt on last week. <laughs> and I told you guys, I walked in to my first training session. I know what I'm doing. I've lifted weights before. And he's like, I'm doing everything absolutely wrong. Uh, That's self-awareness too, though. <laughs> but I'm, I was very open to when he says, you're doing it absolutely wrong. I was like, holy shit, am I really? And he explains to me why. And I accept the advice. Um, so I guess I can understand where they're coming from. But being able to be open-minded, I think for the most part, most of the people that come in here and tell us our business and we kind of like pump the brakes on them and say, well, let me explain to you why that may not be 100% accurate. And you give them really good sound factual advice. Most of them take it, right? Yeah. Most of them come around. Yep. And the ones who don't are not made for firms like ours. Yeah. And that's a key part of the initial process which is fleshing out those people and not wasting any more time with them because they're not gonna they're not gonna come around there's plenty of places that when when they're interviewing the advisor and say hey like what do you do when markets are going up and down what is your strategy and we go we don't have one we don't do that there's plenty of places that will have a good 45 minute presentation about their strategy right yeah yeah and i know we talked about this last week but percentage of these people who are men (laughs) (laughs) 93 yeah. plus. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what is, does anybody know the the percentage of, of uh, female to male CFOs? A lot to a little. Yeah. Okay. Good answer, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> That's fact checked yeah. as well. <laughs> What's next? New York? Housing. Manhattan apartment rents plunge 10% in pandemic fueled exodus. Dun, dun, dun. What? <laughs> this is exactly what I did with Kayla, my oldest daughter. This article described exactly what we did to a T. Ashrak Carmel, Bloomberg. Um, his article is one of many right now that are discussing urban housing markets that have been impacted by COVID. This article specifically is talking about Manhattan, which saw a record 4.33% vacancy rate in July, along with um, a record number of apartments listed for rent. So, Jeff, what, why don't you describe exactly what you did? She lived in an apartment in Brooklyn. She went to school in Manhattan. And literally in March, I picked her up and drove her home and said, you are not going back to New York City. And you're and bring all your stuff because you're probably not going back in the fall if and when school opens back up. And her mom co-signed the apartment with her. And I told Kayla, I said, don't pay your rent April, May, um, June, July, and August. Like, just, just stop paying. I mean, you, you literally the business... Where she worked, the the burger shop that she worked out of closed within three weeks of the pandemic. So you have no revenue. You cannot go to school there. There's no reason for you to live in Brooklyn. And by the way, it's going to turn into a hot zone. The epicenter. The epicenter. So there has to be some forgiveness there for a 20-year-old kid who's paying $750 a month to rent basically a like a closet in New York City. And there wasn't. I mean, this guy wanted his money through the end of the lease, which was August. And I think she paid it. But now we're, we're looking at school ramping back up. And there's, there's no way in hell I'm sending her back to Brooklyn. So I'm sure that story is repeated thousands, hundreds of thousands of times in New York right now. Kids leaving... Because I'm not, you know, they're not going back to school where they are doing it virtually and getting out of the city. Yeah, I think students are a, a portion of it. And I think it's families who are seeking space and who don't want to be in at all of the appeals of the city were meaningless during yeah. quarantine. So, you know, if, if working from home or schooling from home is going to be something that families with children are dealing with, then they're looking for room (laughs) um which i guess has led to you know people fleeing i mean i've read a couple articles about how like new york's never going to be the same i feel like new york city is probably a bad example for that type of statement um i think there are probably other cities less major that see longer term impacts of this but to me new york city will it'll come back like the the appeal of 
Manhattan is not going away because of this. Yeah, I think, I mean, I look, I think about New York City and San Francisco as Mm -hmm. kind of two that have similar problems. And again, back to the accelerant theme, the incredibly high taxes that are levied on residents who, you know, live and work there. Um, And sounds like only going to be hiked even more. there's a tipping point, I think, and then you combine that with the ability and, and the and the opportunity probably for lots of people to move and, and do their same job from another state, like a more weather-friendly and economic-friendly state like Florida or the Southeast or Southwest. I think there's going to be enough of that to make an impact. I, I really do. And that'll that in turn put pressure on rents and real estate prices even further. And I think I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with you, Meg. It's not like going to be that dramatic where New York is dead and it's never going to. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a it's going to look very different. Um, really? I do. Yeah. Just I mean, every there's there's always a group of opportunists in some market. And this is going to create an opportunity for people that said, look, we had always wanted to get into the city. And look, there's a vaccine. I believe in it. And now we can get in this apartment or this penthouse at half the cost it was a year ago for at least the next, you know, whatever our lease agreement becomes. I think there's going to be opportunists that want to take advantage of that. I just think there's a point at which you get taxed out of, out of the tax burden becomes too much. And then, then the state and local governments can't function without the tax revenue. And then it goes, especially the highest earners who will absolutely move um, to a more tax friendly state or locale at a certain point. And I I think this might be what does it for a lot of people. It's already kind of been happening yeah. with like you know, people moving into you know, Connecticut, Connecticut and others. North Jersey. But I think that this could be a bigger deal um, and, and happen much quicker. So we'll see. We'll see. Was it Am- who, who was it? Amazon or somebody basically had or has already said like you can work from wherever? Google. Or Google. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, Google said. I think for... Like the next year, yeah, you can work from wherever you want. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think things will be back. It just won't be back to normal. I, it'll be noticeably different. I, I believe that's all. Like people will be wearing masks now, or it'll feel less crowded. Because <laughs> when I think of New York, I just think crowds and overwhelming, like just people everywhere. Like, do you think this is going to make that feel different? I think there's a lot of companies, large ones, who have headquarters in Manhattan that might go away, and okay. that turns into something else. Maybe it's more residential, whatever housing. Sure. But um, I think that like it's it's a bear market for New York City and San Francisco in, in particular. Um, there's business. too many people that have that's that city bug, that city itch where they want to get back and and get into the the life of of the city and the vibe of the city. And I I get it. I feel it when I go and I visit and I'm in Mm -hmm. Philly and I'm like, man, why don't we come down here more often? Old city is freaking awesome. All the restaurants, South Street, all the people, like it's awesome. And I can't wait to get home to my little suburban house and and get in my bed. But there's a lot of people that that get that itch and then want to be there. I just feel like that'll... That'll help the, the the survival rate of most cities because I think there's going to be that opportunity to jump in. But we'll see, man. Yeah, I, I can't imagine New York looking different than it does. Yeah, and it might not be noticeably different to like us non New Yorkers. But, um, on the flip side of that coin, Home Depot is like killing it. So people are leaving cities to you know in theory, find more space, buy homes, or um, the people who already have homes seem to be doing a lot of projects. That's probably in relation to, and I don't I don't have the numbers kind of um, in the U.S., but I just know from my little circle and our clients and my family and my friends, there has been a lot of real estate transition among people I know and, I, and the people I run with and the clients that we have. A lot of clients sold their house, bought another house. I have friends that are buying their first homes and, and family. Like there's a lot of that happening. And people are putting their homes on the market and they're getting sold 
within a week. Mm -hmm. So that market, at least in this area, is doing very well. So that's got to be a part of it. You, you know, you buy your new house or, or you buy your first house and you get in. And the first thing you want to do after you unpack and get settled is you're looking at that wall. I want to knock that down. I want to upgrade that bathroom. And where do you go, especially during a pandemic where you may have lost your job? You're not hiring a contractor. You're Googling it and you're, you're YouTubing it and you're doing it yourself. I had my share of projects during the pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's the DIY stuff for people that were not necessarily moving or anything. It was just, you know, you spend three or four straight months in your house and you you, you find there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done um, and you're around to do it. So um, I think that's a big part of it, too. It also happened at like the perfect time for Home Depot Lawn and Garden, right? It's <laughs> It's the springtime. You've been locked in your house, and the only thing you could do is go outside and walk around. You start pulling weeds and planting flowers, man. Is there any reason why there's a Lowe's and a Home Depot? You know what I mean? Like, shouldn't they just either, like, combine? I mean, I find, I'm more of a Lowe's guy, I'll say, but they're really, like, interchangeable, aren't they? What's crazy is there is not a huge disparity in price. On most things. I have found some products where at Depot, it's $7 for a cabinet pole and Lowe's has one that's identical. It's like a buck. But the majority of the, of the stuff in there is pretty much the same price. So there is no competition. Like you're not creating any kind of competition from a price standpoint. Yeah, just merge. Because, I mean, the competition to me is more Amazon, right? So, like, if I need an extension cord, I used to go to Home Depot to buy one. I'm, I'm now going to Amazon, which I just did the other day. It was an awesome extension cord, too. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, all those little items that you can order online, it's, it's, it's weird to me how, how well Home Depot is held up in the face of Amazon competition specifically. Obviously, not buying lumber and stuff like that, but... All those like miscellaneous things, you just, they show up at your door the next day. I don't have to drive to Home Depot. So I have, go ahead, Meg. I feel like some of that though is when people get in, like, I'm going to do this project, they want to do it. So it's a matter of getting in the car, driving, buying your supplies and getting started. Like, I don't know how many people sit down and like, okay, let's plan. And especially if it's something mostly cosmetic, you know, it's like, let's just go get all of our shit and. This Take weekend, I'm going to paint the bathroom. Yeah. So I'll order it on Amazon now on Tuesday. That right. way, it's here Friday, so I can paint on... No, no one thinks like no. that. <laughs> Mike might. Yeah. But no I'm one like, else I'm not even talking about paint. I'm talking about, like, you know, light bulbs and just stuff that's, like, all up and down the aisles that... I, who even goes there to, to buy that yeah. stuff? So I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on this because I... <laughs> there have been things I've needed from Home Depot. And I'm sitting here in the office on Monday. I'm like, oh, I got to get that extension cord. And I got to get some light bulbs. I just, I'll run to Depot during lunch and I'll be back. And I never go because I never want to make the seven and a half minute drive down the road to Depot. So then I started doing, I'll just order on Amazon. It's so, so much smarter. And I'll do it on Monday. I'll be here Wednesday. And I didn't have to go to Depot. And it works most of the time. But there's a lot of times where like the light bulbs show up. I'm like, these are not really what I wanted. Or those air filters really aren't what I wanted or that extension cord. I mean, there's been a lot of things that I've ordered from Amazon. Maybe it's more of a user error. I don't like to read a whole lot. I'm a picture guy. <laughs> so I, yep, that looks like the light bulb I want. And I order it and it comes. I'm like, that's not it. And I'm, I, I'm not returning it. So, cause that's, that's a trip to U, UPS yeah. right. or no, no, no. wherever else. So I just eat it. And yeah. so I've kind of fallen back to going again, just go get it. It's really not that far. So it's between the inconvenience of driving to Depot to get it or waiting two days from Amazon getting it, and it's really not exactly what I wanted. Do you guys fall into any of that where you get it from Amazon and it's really not exactly what you wanted? Yeah, it's happened. I'm sure it's happened. I'm a pretty consistent Amazon order, meaning like I order a lot of things from Amazon, but I do it regularly so i've kind of gotten the the trial and error i figured out what works what i like okay i also don't order 
extension cords or light bulbs or air filters. filters. So. Do like weed barrier? Yeah, no. For your mulch beds? I get it. And like, oh, that's not the thickness that I really wanted. I wanted it to be thicker than that. And I got this giant roll of weed barrier, which, by the way, is about 500 feet too long because I didn't really measure and wasn't really sure exactly how much weed barrier I needed. Yes. Yeah, just, just my problem. <laughs> not it's a problem I've ever had. User, user error. <laughs> I think Depot's going to continue to continue to kill it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, the, the specific... We'll move on after this, but the specific pandemic-fueled buying spree... I think it's just temporary, right? It goes back to normal pretty soon. And that's to me why like the stock shouldn't be really like raging as a result of like a temporary flood of buying, you know? Yeah, I agree. I don't disagree on that. We bought, I bought a grill. I've used nice. it once. Wow. Yeah. So did you assemble it yourself? I assembled it nice. and grilled on it and then put it away and have not taken it out since. So I'm over Home Depot. <laughs> Top five? Sure. I got mine. What do we got? Top five movies that could not be made today based on like PC, political correctness. I think Mike and I are going to overlap a ton. Yeah, probably. Um, You want me to start? Go ahead. You start, Jeff. Obvious. Well, I'll start from the bottom. I'll go from five up to one because I did order them. Police Academy is my number five. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of goofy humor that would not be acceptable today in any of the police academies. Well, I'll go with Police Academy 1. Number four would be Caddyshack. Yeah, I thought about them and it didn't put it on, but what's your reasoning? The black guy who cleans the shoes in the country club. I mean, it's just very racist. Yeah. Did you think about the cocaine aspect of it yeah, at all? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, a lot of like heavy drug reference. Well, yeah, and and everybody was completely whacked out of their mind filming it. Apparently, oh, like, yeah, oh, salt yeah. shakers full of cocaine on the on the wow. tables and stuff. And be fun. And it was just out of, <laughs> an out of hand scene. I, I I'm assuming that they don't really that's frowned upon now when you make movies. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, it was a it was a drug fest. Yeah. When they when they film Caddyshack, um, so Police Academy Caddyshack. Fun fact though on Caddyshack, do you know? Did you know that the role of Danny Noonan, they considered um, Mickey Rourke for that. Yeah, huh. which would not have worked. In no, no, the all. kid, the kid they got, which didn't do much after Caddyshack. And you know, the script was the the central like theme of the script as written was a love triangle between Danny Noonan, Maggie, and um, Denunzio, which was like completely pretty much irrelevant because the other, the, the, like the comedic actors just dominated. They the took whole thing. over. Yeah. They didn't even have the gopher as part of this, the movie. They shouldn't. That was a stupid part of it. I thought it was yeah. hysterical. <laughs> I thought it was a great part of the movie. Really? Oh my God. You kidding me? This Bill is Ma- like the difference between the two of you in... If- like perfectly represented if is you, you like liking the, the gopher, gopher then that's all i need to know about <laughs> bill murray fighting the gopher the entire time it's stupid so funny anyway all right, all right go ahead, number three was blazing saddles completely racist i guess mine are all racist number two was soul man I have that on my list, right? Blackface doesn't go over well. Dude, C. Thomas Howell was like looking for a scholarship to get into college, and the only one he could find was an African-American scholarship. So he literally blackfaced and like, yeah, there's no way they're making that now. And number one would be any Richard Pryor movie, but The Toy would be my number one. That's my number one. Yeah, I mean, like, rich white guy tries to figure out what he can get his kid as a toy because he has everything and he decides to you know get him a black dude Richard Pryor R- Richard Pryor it was a hysterical movie this Yikes. is actually a depressing top five because you realize like what a shame it is that they can't make these movies anymore because yeah. they were like it was fun. so much funniness to them like being com- like I would say completely non-racist Watching it, I found it funny, like knowing that like this is just crazy to people who made this movie. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And like it's completely like inappropriate. 
I wasn't like cheering it on. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was. But that was far and away my number one. Yeah, those two are on my list. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll continue. Um, I have airplane. That was a consideration. Because some of those jokes were just like, I mean, there's a, you know, the one the pilot says to the little kid, like, you ever seen a grown man naked? You know, it was like innuendo <laughs> about like molesting kids like, and stuff like that. Just, and, and, and there was just so many that were like over the line. Um, I've got Big. Yeah. Why was Big on your list? Because the it's kid so is weird. like 12 years old and yeah. he's like hooking up with the the... 30-year-old or something. Yeah, you but know? he wasn't 12 when he hooked up with her. Yeah, but he kind of still was. I kind of thought of that. Like, I thought of that and then, like, Back to the Future when, like, yeah. they have the the girl having a crush. Like, it's just the mom, right, having the crush on her son. Yeah. Like, just unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Um, my other one I have is Dirty Harry because, I mean – Police brutality, that was like the poster child <laughs> of it. Him, like his character. He just went around and just like <laughs> abused anyone, if, whether they were <laughs> criminal or not. Good on you. Very that's timely, actually, Mike. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then my la- my first one I, I mentioned to you guys before, Tropic Thunder, was would just never be able to see the light of day because of the um, the the Ben Stiller playing the mentally challenged character and make, basically making fun of it. And then... Uh, and obviously, uh, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, yeah. playing the, the black dude. It's, it's, <laughs> such a good movie, though. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't think, not, there's no way they could come out with something like that today. So I take your black face and I raise you a white face. <laughs> white chicks. I good, think, that like, I never saw that. Oh, it's, a good it's so funny. It's the Wayans brothers parading around as white women in the Hamptons. It's hysterical. And honestly, I would argue that it could be made again today, but then all of the Karens of the world would be like, right. how come they can do that? <laughs> yeah. So Didn't one of the Wayne's brothers look exactly like Iggy Azalea after they both he, he dressed up? Kind of did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry yeah. with Kevin James and Adam Sandler, yeah. like pretending to be gay to get like benefits from the fire department. Yeah, right, right. Um, 16 Candles. Yeah, I thought about that one. Was that with Long Duck Dong? Yeah. Yeah. So aside from that, <laughs> there were like like super, he was like the most Asian Asian on the, the planet. Most stere- they every and they, stereotype. And they just made fun of him. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Just because he was Asian. Yeah. And then there were super problematic themes about like women being drunk and men taking advantage of them. Right. Right. Um, that were actually spoken about. American Beauty. Yeah, Ooh, good one. That was a good one. And mostly this comes from Kevin Spacey just like right. playing the creep, like being a creep, but then having a crush on his like, yep. you know, um, minor daughter's best friend. Yeah. And like the way the movie was made, it just kind of mm-hmm. creepy and, feeling. And now, isn't Kevin Spacey really like a bit of a perv? I think towards boys, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then Never Been Kissed. Really? Yeah. Drew Barrymore? It's a, cl- it's a great movie, by the way. All right. So Drew Barrymore is a... I don't know if that makes me very... <laughs> no, it's a good... Uh, but So Drew Barrymore is a um, reporter, okay. and she goes back to high school to try to become like one of the popular kids. And she ends up having a crush and an eventual relationship with her teacher, who, like, she's a consenting adult, but he doesn't know that about her. Ah. And then... His her brother comes into the mix. He's like a twenty three year old college. I don't even know if he went to college. He's a baseball player. He goes back to high school as a high school student, makes the baseball team, and then starts dating a sixteen year old. <laughs> like it's just icky. Yeah, like they, it would never happen now. Probably not. Definitely not. He dominated in high school, though, by the way. He had scouts coming to check him out during the games. But it's also like... He was like the man instantly. How does that happen? How does someone just walk off the street and be like, you know what? I'm going to enroll in high school today. Because while they both were... They're both kind of young looking, right? Drew Barrymore doesn't look her age. She looks younger, at least in the movie she did. And this was Courtney Cox's brother. Is that his name? Arquette. Um, David Arquette. David Arquette, yes. No, that's a singer, isn't it? No. no, that's him. That's David him. And I think yeah. it's Courtney Cox's ex-husband. Oh, she was married to right. him. Okay. He looked like a baby in the movie, too. 
So it made sense. I still don't know how someone just walks in a high school and they're like, <laughs> can I start going to class? Can I join the f- yeah. baseball team? That would team? never happen. You're right. Yeah. No. And then the fact that they added the relationship element to it just made it. With the teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was pretty, uh, pretty nasty. All right. Good, Good top stuff. five, Meg. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. See ya. Till next week. Thank you.